Let us pray. Father, we thank you. And Lord God, today we lift up Jesus. We lift up his holy name. And Lord God, I pray today that you speak to your people and they hear you clearly in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. John chapter 14. Go to verse 16. One thing I learned, and this is just, the, I was kind of, I was been studying through this this week. I've been studying through John 14 all the way through um, chapter, John chapter 14 through chapter 20. I've been studying. And one thing I learned as I was studying in John chapter 14, and, and you know, some headings may say the role of the spirit, but it's what we ask for and how we get it. And what we expect from God. I learned all these, these different things as I've been studying. And in John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus says this. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. Now, wow, think about this. I want you to just put this in perspective, okay? Okay, let me just help you understand something. Have any of you ever asked a parent for anything? You never, Blair's saying, I've never asked my parents for anything. Okay, Blair has a different issue. We'll deal with that later. <laughs> Have any of you ever asked your parents for anything? Has the answer sometimes been no? Has the answer sometimes been yes? And then sometimes it's, well, let me think just a little bit about it. And you're impatient and you want it when now, whatever. You, Lydia's looking at me. Most of my answers were no, weren't they? I know. But look at what a sweetheart you've grown up to be. I know. Oh, I can't help it. It's good when dad is right. <laughs> but look at. <laughs> Tell the truth, shame the devil. Look at verse 16. But Jesus says, I will ask the father. And he will give you another helper. Now, I want you to understand that scripture. He says, I will, he didn't say, I'm going to ask the father for the helper. He says, I will ask him and he will give you a helper. So in other words, Jesus is coming into this situation with an understanding and a mindset of what you need and how to ask for it and how to get it. Okay? Not what you want, not what you desire or anything like that. But Jesus says, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper. And then he gives you the reason that he may be with you forever. The helper is designed to come in and, and exist and intermingle and dwell in your body. And Jesus is saying, you're going to need help, and I'm going to ask the Father for that help for you. Now, Jesus being the Son, God being the Father, and then the Spirit mixed in, but they're all being one. Is Jesus about to ask for something he knows he won't get? Understand that first. Jesus is asking for something specifically for you in your life today. Okay? He's asking for something specifically. Now, since he's asking in this fashion, you have to understand this is a mirror of how you should ask. But get this. He says, I will ask the Father. I will ask the Father, the parent, the ruling head, the one in control. I will ask him. Because with your children, you as children, if you ever wanted something, did you ask mama? You did. But mama usually said, ask your father. Right? 
right? And now most moms and dudes don't even bother asking your dad that, right? Because they knew what dad was going to say. Right, Lydia? Right, Jonathan? Y'all, she gets deaf now, right, Jonathan? You don't know what you see. Okay, hey, y'all denying the father? Y'all denying me? He said, I will ask the father. I'll ask the one that's in control. I'll ask the, keep in mind, I'm not, don't, don't be calling him your daddy. Don't be calling your papa. He's asking him father as a, as a leader, as an authority, as the one who knows, as the one that is in full control. I will ask him, and he will give you a helper that he may be with you. Now, be with you forever. Why would he need to be with you? Why is Jesus asking this? Why? You're going to need help because we're going to read about the help you're going to need here in a second. You're going to need the helper. You're going to need, but you've got to be able to ask him for the right reasons. You've got to be able to ask him for the right purpose. And, and, and then you've got to use the helper for what you're supposed to use the helper for. So get this. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. You need help understanding God's word and purpose in your life. You need help and you need assistance trying to get what God intends for you to have. But it's only going to come through the helper who's going to speak and is going to be truthful with you about not only what the intent is, but what your purpose is in life. You see? A lot of us mistakenly think, like John just said in, 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 in the song, a lot of us mistakenly think that at some point in life when we became Christians, it, it was all about us. And God says, no, it's not. It's no longer about you. It's, no, it's not been about you, nor should it ever be about you. Okay? Just drive, once again, as we drove through Panama City, you know, did I have things on my mind? Did I have thoughts on my mind? Did I, did I think I was going, you know, yes. But they quickly shifted away to those who were hurting. I sat across from a pastor who has been keeping his church open and keeping it going, okay, not stopping. Been recruiting to get other pastors paid down there, starting to work to get other churches rebuilt down there. All of these things he's working on, and guess what my problems became? nothing you drive through and you see buildings boarded up and they just have spray painted on the on the plywood open you know you, you drive down and, and the power poles are still down there's still power companies down there still trying to restore power y'all it's not in the news anymore but it's just been two months and people are seriously hurting right they are seriously hurting and so so the truth of the matter is, and this is the spirit of truth that works in us, he guides us and directs us in a way that we should respond to the things in life that we're going to encounter. This is why we need this. And look at verse 17 again, John chapter 14, verse 17. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be with you. This spirit of truth that is embedded in you, that is dwelling within you, is giving you direction in every aspect of your life. 
Some of you just not acknowledging the aspect. He's telling you the truth about where you're weak, about where you're strong, about all of these different things. And sometimes you'll see or experience something that will just give you enough of a jolt, enough of a jump start to make you go, ooh, oh, let me get off myself and let me get back on with God. Because he's done the work in you. I told Pastor Rick yesterday in Panama City, you know, he was talking about the help that they need and, and everything that they were going to need and all this other stuff. And I said, you know what? At the end of it, even through all this tragedy and destruction, it's not about rebuilding the building. It's about presenting the gospel. And this has been a vast opportunity for us to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it is, y'all. That's the truth. And no matter what you go through, no matter how many things and how many times you get attacked, and no matter how many times you get insulted, no matter how many times you go, the spirit of God is there so that he can teach you and, uh, and help you and coach you through those things. I'm not going to let you be so naive as to tell you you're not going to have trouble. Right? I'm not going to go to verse 27 real quick before we go back. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world give do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Don't let it work. You still, the spirit of truth is going to continue to allow you to live in a spirit of peace as long as you continue to line yourself up with it right. Does that make sense, or did I just speak something else? It makes sense, doesn't it? And so keep in mind, Panama City's been in Mexico Beach and all those things got wiped off the map. Sure. In order for us to go and preach the gospel again. To those who are lost and dying. See, that's the purpose. That's what the spirit is always going to reveal to you. The spirit is always going. You may think your problem is overwhelming you. You may think your problem is terrible. But you know what? The Spirit is working in you for you to utilize that problem for the gospel. To utilize your situation for the gospel. To take your pain and do it all for the gospel. Okay? Oh, are, we, are we simpatico? We're gelling right now? Okay, now look. Go back to verse 17 again. This helper that he's going to see, this helper, he says, that is the spirit of truth whom the word cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Now, keep in mind, he says a key word here. You know him. You know him. In other words, you and the spirit are intimate together. Right. That's what the word know means. You know, you, it's more than just an awareness. It is an in intimacy. God uses the word know a lot in the Bible. He came to know her. It was an intimate relationship. You know him. I'm not talking about perverted. That doesn't come from God. I'm talking about an intimate knowing. And so you have to understand when that spirit is stimulated in your life, no matter what plight you're going through, when that spirit is stimulated in your life, he's directing you for God's purpose. Okay? Any questions about that? Do we need to do calisthenics or y'all wait? I don't want you. I don't know. I'm just joking. Hey, don't, 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 don't. Okay. Now look what he does in verse 18. 
He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. That's why in Christ alone gets me so excited. That's why in Christ alone, because all of y'all can get up and walk out of here right now. Don't do that, but you can. You can get up and walk out of here. Jerry, don't go nowhere. Okay? <laughs> Jerry's like, I'll put my Bible. You can get up and walk out, but I'm what? I'm still not alone. Would it be painful to watch all of you walk out? Especially if you walked out for the wrong reason. Would that be painful? Okay? Jesus is saying, I won't leave you as an orphan now. I will come back. It's, it's not, don't, don't lose hope just because I'm going away right now. You still have me. You still, you have the spirit. You still have it. So don't lose hope. Don't give up. I won't leave you. I, look, I'm coming back. See, that's the exciting part about everything. That's ex- I'm going to ask Bonnie a question. It's about to happen. It's a good idea. No, she's saying it's not a good idea. I want you to answer this question honestly. All right. A couple of years ago, I left to go to get some peace and quiet in the mountains. Remember? Okay. So she remembers that. Okay, see, now we're doing good. All right. Everything's safe, right? You approve of this question so far, this statement right here, right? Okay, good. No, 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 okay. Now, I left because there were some things going on in my life, and I didn't leave my wife. Don't get me wrong. Now, hold on. Stop. I didn't leave my wife. I left to go get some quiet, okay? She agreed to this. What would you say, Jerry? Yeah, I didn't take her with me. It was a sabbatical. It was a spousely approved sabbatical for three days. Yeah, it was a a break for her, too. That wasn't. I don't ever need help from Cindy. Okay, now, this is what happened. I left, right? Drove, got in my little, and I had a little Nissan Sentra at the time, and I was off. I went. And I spent time, and I text back and forth. And you knew, you watched me leave, right? You saw me leave. Now, what did you feel? Now, <laughs> no, hold on, hold on, okay, okay. So, so he, no, hold on, she's, she's proving a point here. Okay. You felt what? Okay, no, okay, got you, but. And then, yeah, <laughs> she got it. Okay, right? Now, two and a half days later came about. She's not hearing from me. And I'm not telling anyone. See, I, I was coming back earlier. Okay? She didn't know I was coming. And then I, I get in the yard and I call. And what happened when I called? Oh, don't act like you don't remember that one. <laughs> I called. She said, Well, where are you? Because it was dark. And I said, I'm in the front yard. No, she did not say, Go back. Y'all can't laugh at that. She did not say go back. What did you do? She came running out of the house. She hung up the phone. She hung up on me. And she came running out of the house. She knew I was coming. And then 
she didn't know at that time. She thought it was going to be that half a day later. But her hope was always that I was going to come back. And when I came back, your reaction was, see, she likes me still a little bit, okay? And, and when she, she came, she, I, she said, where are you? I said, I'm in the free yard. She said, oh, and coo. And that, next thing I know, she's out there in my face, and she grabs me, and she hugs me. Because she knew I didn't leave her alone. It was a return that was expected. But when she returned, her action was more than she expected. Her reaction was more than she expected. So when Jesus, look at verse 18 again. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will come to you. See, what Jesus has embedded in them at this point with this statement is that there is hope. Don't lose hope. I'm coming back. And when I do come back, don't quench the reaction. Don't live. Live as if I'm coming back. Live as if. So, so you go to verse 19. After a little while, the world will no longer see me. But you will see me because I live. I, I, I live. You will live also. Verse 20, and that day you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me and he loves and, and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and disclose myself to him. Jesus is saying all of this is because I'm going to go. I'm going to come back. I'm going to leave the spirit here while I'm gone. And he's going to speak truth to you concerning what you should do, how you should be and how you should live and all of these things. Keep in mind, I'm still coming back. Don't lose hope. Because I'm leaving that with you as well. So he does all of this. Okay, and he gives us all this and he tells us all of this. So that we, while he's away, will continue in the work of the spirit of God, which is the gospel. Okay? If she had no hope that I was coming back, would she still have done the same things in the house that she was doing when I was away? Yes or no? Yes or no? See, that's why God has to lead the spirit here with us because we're working in hope. We're living in hope. And he, he still, guys, there's still, there's still opportunity there. There's still mission work there. Through every tragedy, through every, through every difficulty, there's still opportunity, and we need to minister and live through the hope that we have. Now, I want you to take a look at one more piece of scripture here. And um, Eddie has made it, so we're going to let Eddie come up here in a little bit. But I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to look at this, okay? Look at verse 28. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you love me, you, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up. Let us go from here. Jesus says, I'm going to go. 
for the purpose of saving you. This is what he's saying. But while I go, the ruler of the world, Satan, is going to continue on doing what he's doing. I want you to get something. In your struggle this week, in your difficulty, or in your joy this, this week, please understand, even though that Satan, I mean, Satan is going to attack, he's going to give you all of these things that, that you, you just can't even fathom sometimes how much he's attacking you. But in all of that, in all of that, just know that Jesus is still at work in peace in your life. In all the confusion, in all the hell, in everything that is going on, please understand, he's still at work in peace. Satan is going to come, the ruler of this world, this world that we live. Y'all, we're not fighting for this world. We're fighting for the people in this world. Amen. You get it? And that's what he's trying to make clear to you. And he's going to come back for all the ones that we fought for. Okay? All the ones that you presented the gospel to. But in the meantime... The ruler of this world is going to do and going to be allowed to do what God has directed him to do. Okay? But as he said in verse 28, you heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you love me, you will have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Even though the ruler of this world is going to be allowed to come in and do some things, he can't do more than God will allow him, there still should be a rejoicing spirit in your life. That's the other thing that the helper is here for you to do, to help you do, is through times of trial, times of tribulation, times of frustration and everything, because you still, Jesus is leaving you with this one little nugget. This one little nugget he's leaving with you is that real simple me and the Father are still one. We're still working. We're still together. And nothing's going to change that. So the outcome is going to be what I've, what, what I've designed it to be. Satan is going to do his thing. He's commanded to do his thing. He's commanded to, to listen. Joel said it real good this morning. We had our pre-Bible study, Bible Sunday school this morning. We were solving some problems. And, and, See, Satan is, is going to come in just like he was allowed to in Job and cause grief. But it's not to tempt you. It's for your test. He's the tempter. God's the tester. And he's going to test you. He's going to test the spirit that's in you. It's going to be tested all day, every day. It's going to continue to be tested. Not tempted, but it's going to continue to be tested. And your hope, your peace, your joy, everything is in that spirit of truth working to get you through the test. You see what I'm saying? Because he's going to work. Because he knows. God knows the test is coming. Right? It's not a surprise to him. He knows it's coming. So be ready. Be ready. Let the spirit of truth be ready in your life. Let it work. Let the Holy Spirit do what he needs to do. The Holy Spirit knows what to do in the event of the test. 
He knows what to do in the event of the temptation. And the temptation will come as well. So, with all that said, rejoice in your life. <coughs> rejoice in what has been left with you. And there should be no reason why. I'm not, hey, look, the last thing I want to do is see Jerry stand up and pull his shirt off and go, woo, I'm happy I got the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, I owe you that, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you deal with me later. But that's the last thing we know. But it should be. The work of the Holy Spirit is, is, is the Spirit is working in my life. So come on, test. Come on, trial. Come on. He's not doing anything but hardening you, working you, and tempering you for the final work that is to be completed, okay? So when you go down and you see a Panama City that's wiped off the face of the earth, does it stop you or does it push you forward? It's encouraging. Wow. People survive this? There's hope. There's hope. Spirit's at work. Spirit's going to ignite in your life, and it's going to roll in your life, and you're going to move, and you're going to, you're not going to, you're going to forget about you, and you're going to get on to those who need you. You see what I'm saying? No longer, no longer is it me and mine, but it's others, right? I'm going to close in prayer, and then oh, before I do, Brother Eddie, made it here and thank you brother and praise God you made it. Amen. Eddie's, Eddie's our, our speaker for today and um, <coughs> I've heard part of his testimony and just, just listen. So if you want to hear about a trial or a temptation or a test <laughs> he's got one. Okay? You know and, and, and just hear what God has done in his life what he's doing in his life. Cindy, I'm not your test, <laughs> okay? <laughs> Even though starting Wednesday, you're going to have to deal with me, I'm not your test. Amen. Um, Brother Finn, uh, thank you for lunch. I uh, met the brother. Uh, we went to uh, Gideon's uh, pastor appreciation. We sat at the same table. I mean, the food was great that evening. We had a wonderful fellowship. And from there, you know, connection um, continued. Prior to that, um, I met one of the brothers who is with the Gideon uh, Bible Society, uh, Mark Cousins. We went to North Carolina to do disaster relief uh, mass cooking for the Birmingham Baptist Association. We're in the same room, and he was washing dishes. I was taking traps. And uh, in the evening, we share our stories. And then uh, we say goodbye. Say, um, we don't, we're not praying for disaster, but if it happens, we'll see you next time. And then we end up going to Panama. Uh, we are cooking. We, uh, I think that our director said we prepare uh, 17,000 meals. That's a lot of meals. A lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and then... Uh, and and then I was fortunate, you know, in the group, because um, it was my birthday that week, um, 
sort of wanted to do a surprise for me. And one of the ladies put me in the car and said, hey, you want to go to um, Mexico Beach? I said, oh, yes. So she took me there. And so brother, yes, as he was speaking, it's still fresh on my mind. I have pictures. When I got there and what I saw was nothing compared to what I went through in my life. But God is good. In the midst of all that, his presence uh, is with us. So, um, what I prepared this morning to share with you about the word of God, um, my connection with Gideon and how God used the Bible to transform my life. So, my question to you this morning, uh, as I introduce myself, I know from here, I'm going to see some of you at Sam Club and Walmart and and then you'll look and say, uh, is that the guy who preached at our church? And I'll be looking at you like, uh, is that the guy who sat in the congregation I was preaching? <laughs> the question what I want to ask you this morning is, when did you receive the word of God for the salvation of your soul? When? When did you hear about Jesus? And if you did and received the message, how was it presented to you? Um, Many of us carry this with us in our homes. Some of us have three, four, five copies. Um, they're just somewhere, you know, waiting to be touched. And uh, in these modern days, we have the Bible on our phone. So a lot of people have no excuse for not reading it. It's with us. It's in our hands. But the, the, the Bible is a powerful tool that God has used over the years to transform, to change community, to change lives. So when you read the Bible, what it says about itself, like in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, or 1 Peter 2, 2, so the Bible is like food for your soul. Mm. Bible is like food, the word of God, food for your soul. In Psalm 119, verse 11, it's uh, presented as precepts written on our hearts. The Bible will keep you from sin. He said, that word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against you. The Bible will either keep you from sin or sin will keep you away from the Bible. Mm. It furnishes light. Psalm 119 verse 105. It, is, it says, that word is a lamb unto my feet. It will show you. It will safely lead you to where you desire to go. And so you read more like in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 5, 14 say the Bible is like a devouring flame. Jeremiah says like fire shut up in my bones. When the word of God is in your life, in your soul, when God says something to you, he wants you to do it, you will not have peace until it is done. Amen. Amen. That's right. It's like you pass by a um, homeless person by the wayside and they hold a, uh, uh, a cowboy in their hand and say, uh, will you please give me some food? money for food and then you you kind of rationalize and say uh well if i give him or her my money uh he she might go and buy a drug or buy alcohol and so i don't have time for that and then you pass and then but then the spirit keeps saying you should have given yeah, that man, person something right. and so then it's like fire shut up in your bones you are not going to rest praying for another opportunity. And when it comes, you're saying, you know what? Well, I'll give you a dollar or two if you buy drugs, you buy alcohol. It's between you and God. Yeah. But my conscience tells me that you said you need food, and I'm giving you food. Mm -hmm. I tell you this. 
Uh, it was two days ago. I was at Walmart, and there was this young man by the by the by the by the gate, uh, the door there, and somebody gave him money. When they gave him the money, immediately he got up. And honestly, I was kind of like trying to judge and see what he's going to do with the money. Mm-hmm. And I ended up going to Chick Fil A, and uh, when I looked, I got in my car. He came out of Chick Fil A with a bag. So he really he was hungry. Mm-hmm. So. Also, uh, in Jeremiah 23, it says, uh, the, the Bible has that the influence of as a crushing hammer. Yes, it will break things up to make it work again. Ezekiel said, the Bible, the word of God, has life-giving force. In Ezekiel 37, when Ezekiel had a vision about the dry bones, the dry bones, the dry bones. God called Ezekiel to preach. He felt in his heart God wanted him to preach. And God has a sense of humor, you know. God said, Ezekiel, you want to preach? Yes, I'm not going to give you a church with 10,000 members or 500 members or 200 members. I'm going to take you in the valley full of dry bones. Mm-hmm. Where when you are talking, nobody talks back to you. <laughs> Come on. Amen. Preach until, I mean, everything goes uh, uh, out of you, but nobody will speak. And so God placed uh, Ezekiel then said, dry bones, come back to life. And then Ezekiel said there was a rumbling in the valley. Things were happening, and I'm glad Ezekiel did not run. Because in this life, sometimes when God is about to bring about change in our lives, there will be some confusion, some disturbance. Some things will be shifted back and forth. And those who are not comfortable with change or become uh, panicky, they will run. But Ezekiel stood there, and when the noise settled down, he said, God raised up an army. So sometimes it's good to wait on God. The word of God has saving power, Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. The, it's in the gospel, he said, what? It's the power for salvation it's to right. them that believe. Mm-hmm. It was the same word that St. Augustine, we are told, was reading, you know, having gone to seminary and, you know, learning about God. But somewhere in his heart, he was still troubled. There was no peace. He did not have the answer to his soul's question, where would I spend eternity? And the Bible, I mean, uh, the, his own testimony says he was sitting out there one day and, you know, somebody told, you know, a piece of paper and the, the, the wind kept bringing it in his direction and then it passed and then the voice spoke to him and said, take, read. And when he read it, he read Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. He gave his heart to Jesus. Mm-hmm. In Ephesians six seventeen. The word of God has its power, I mean, as a defensive weapon. The sword of the spirit to come against what? The enemies are um, attacked. If you have the word of God in your life, like Jesus did when the devil tempted him, you know, in Matthew chapter 4, it is written. Mm -hmm. It is written. If you stand on what is written, you will make no mistake. Mm -hmm. So, if the word of God is has all that uh, power to do, influence, or change our lives, how come our word is wasting away? How come evil things are still happening? How come there is war? How come there is famine? How come people are murdering each other? How come people are stealing from people? How come there are corrupt people in our community? How come there are drug dealers? How come there are criminals around us? How come there are prostitutes? If the word of God has power to do all this. 
That's the question. A young child asked me the other day, where is God in all this? Or somebody gets taken, a child, you know, uh, who, 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 who's with a single mom and the dad's not home, and a uh, single mom is doing all she can to take care, and then single mom gets sick. It's afflicted with cancer, and the child's praying for the mom to be well because that's the child's security. But God did not answer the prayer that when the mother passed. So the child says, where is God? If the word of God that has brought us in this room this morning has such power to transform community, transform lives, if it is that important, how do we help other people to know and experience what we have experienced? You see, like Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. Mm -hmm. People said, these men are drunk. Peter said, no, we're not drunk. Something new is happening. It was spoken a long time ago by the prophet Joel that this will come and we want you to experience what we have experienced. So if it is important for other people to know and experience the powerful influence of the word of God, how do they get to know that? Mm. And so Paul in Romans chapter 10 says, you know, it's all about being concerned about people. In Romans 10, Paul said he's concerned about his own people, his own race. He's preaching to the Gentiles. But he said, the Jews, they are my people. I want them to be saved. So if Paul's concerned about lost people, the question to you and myself is, are we concerned? Paul was gravely concerned about lost people. Are we concerned about people who don't know Jesus? Amen. Where are they? Somebody will ask. You know, when I came to Birmingham, 27 years ago, next month we make it 28, my wife and I and our baby, guess what? Come from, coming from Liberia where, you know, we're doing church, doing church, we're getting on the street, we're doing church planting, we're having church on the mango tree and all that. When I came to Birmingham, I got confused for a minute about witnessing to people. I kind of thought for a moment that everybody in Birmingham knew Jesus. Mm, mm-hmm. uh-huh. <laughs> Why? Because there is church on almost every corner. Amen. That's right. So I'm going like this place is good to be saved. There's church everywhere. But then after a while, the Lord told me, "Uh uh-uh, don't be deceived, son. Mm -hmm. There are people here who still need Jesus. Mm -hmm. So where are lost people? They are out there. The drug dealers. Cheaters, prostitutes, criminals, uh, corrupt politicians. They are out there. But don't be surprised. Some just might be in your own house. Come on. In your own family. Uh, Right next to the cubicle that you work in. They are all around us. We don't have to go too far to find lost people. If you go to Sam tomorrow, guess what? And you're on that line trying to wait to check, to check out, somebody may be standing uh, behind you or in front of you. They want to talk to somebody. And if you stop for a moment and give them, make an eye contact and start a conversation, I promise you, if you stop and you're willing enough to listen, you just might meet a lost person. Yeah, come on. Who's needing somebody to hold their hand and pray with them 
Tell them about the word of life. And so that's what happened for me when missionaries went to Africa to preach the gospel. Uh, two, two young, uh, it took a lot of missionaries to get me here, but mm. two young missionaries got started, two journeymen, they went to Africa to teach Bible in my school. And they taught the Bible, well, that's how I was introduced to the Bible story, the Old Testament story. I come from a remote African jungle village where, you know, uh, all we did was story time. Grandmother told a story. So the Jacob story, the, the Esau story kind of appealed to me. And over time, God used other missionaries to prepare me to be here. But it was in the classroom. The word of God was presented. And I accepted, uh, and, I, and I read about it, and over time, I accepted Jesus. And so, one of those occasions with the Gideon Bible Institute, I mean, community, where they take Bibles to different uh, places, and in the hotels, and in the hospital, wonderful job. One of those Bibles, New Testament, ended up in my hand, through my school. And so, when I became a Christian, and I started reading my Bible, learning to pray, I had to go to my parents for summer vacation, you know, uh, about two months out of school, and I had to go home. I pray. I really wanted to go home to see my mom and dad, siblings, and everything else. And so, but there was an obstacle. There was an issue on the way. Wherever the car stopped me, I had to walk almost eight hours through the jungle to get to my village. And so I was praying that there would be people who would travel with me. I've traveled the road before, but in a large group, so I wasn't leading the way. There's no street signs and, you know, all that, uh-uh. You're in the jungle. It's all green. So when I got there, I got in the car. The car stopped on the way. The next day, we got to my uh, final stopping point by 10 o'clock. Everybody who came escorting people, because from my village, when somebody go to buy, they have a 10, uh, maybe five, six, seven, eight people escort that person, bring all the bundles. And so they went back early that morning. When I got at 10 o'clock, uh, and I look around, the people say, oh, the folks from your village were here, but they left 6 o'clock this morning. I was disappointed. And I stood by the pool, and I'm trying to figure out whether I should go or stay. And time is running, I have to come back to school. And the women that were sitting there, they said, oh, but you can spend the night here. We'll give you a place to sleep. And in my house, no, 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 no. I, I need to go and come back. And then tears started coming down my, my face. I held my New Testament that I have prayed. I read Psalm 121 all along, you know. I would lift up my eyes to the hills and winds come in my help. And the God promised me that he would be with me. And when I stood by the pool, guess what? I was standing there with tears coming down my eyes. And the Spirit of God spoke to me for the first time that like I'd never heard before. said, didn't you ask me to bring you? Mm -hmm. That's right. Come on. Go. I will be with you. Mm-hmm. I turned to those ladies, I said, you know, I appreciate the hospitality, but I'm going to try. And into the forest I went. So I walked for like four or five minutes, and I got to an intercession like that. And I didn't know which way was the right way. Then I prayed. I said, God, you promised you would take me, and I'm trusting you, whichever way. And I had, well, maybe you would say like the Ezekiel experience where Ezekiel said God took him by the hair, you know, from where he was and took him to the refugee camp. No, God did not pick me up by my hair, but I just felt this lightness moving in the right direction. I went on my right, mm -hmm. and then for 45 minutes I walked in the jungle, and I was hearing all kinds of creatures, you know, animals, birds, and everything. And I was panicking, my heart was beating fast. And God said to me, no, don't be afraid. 
You see, just as I made you and gave you a mouth to talk, I made all these creatures, and I give them, in fact, they're not even, sh- they're not thinking about you. Go on. So I walked through for 45 minutes, and I got to a small village. And uh, this particular session on the road, I wasn't going to be able to make it by myself. God had two ladies there waiting to carry me through. And we walked for like five hours through the jungle where you could see elephants, uh, monkeys, anything can come to show up. And when we got to a particular village, they said, sir, uh, maybe it was about three something, four. They said, son, we can't make it anymore. We are old. We are too old to continue to walk. So I said, well, I'm going to try because time is not in my favor. And then I continued. I thought I missed the road a little bit. And the spirit said, I'm still here with you. Just keep going. And then I got back on the main road, crossed the river, got to my village. And I spent two weeks and I was worried about coming back. How am I going to come back to town? I was bringing my, my younger brother with me. And then I went to bed that night and God spoke to me through a dream. Uh, there were some people from the other town who came and met us at the intercession to walk away. And, of course, we got up that morning, put our bundles on our back. You know, in the village, we put the bundles on our back. It's a big backpack. You put it on your back, and then you travel. And then we got to that intercession. We met folks coming. That's how I learned about what faith in God is. Yeah, come on. God does speak. He'll speak to your personal situation. Direct you, guide you. All because, you know, this is why faith comes by hearing, hearing from the word of God. So what the Gideon people do, that they take power around the globe, it is very, very useful because the word of God has the power to save and it still does today. Amen. So Paul said, how can people hear unless somebody send them? Mm-hmm. That's what Gideon doing. They take the word of God. And since Gideon and the other people missionary helped me, God told me to continue the mission work. You know, he said, uh, your own village, don't expect anybody from America, from England. You know, most of them, a lot of the missionaries we see on, in Africa are white missionaries. So don't expect anybody to come. You are the missionary to your own folks. Amen. So build schools because kids are desperate. They want to go to school. They're not, in, they're not enough school. They're not enough teachers. They're not enough supplies. So my wife and I, plus other friends in the city, 17, 18 years ago, we started one school in my village. Long story short, and then we built another school near the city that's gone to a high school level. And next year, July 21st, we'll be having the first high school graduation. Amen. Praise God. We're about to start an agriculture school in the village to teach the people how to make farm. They live in a place where there's plenty of land, six months of rainfall annually, but they don't have food because they don't have the mentality how to make things work. They only slash and burn, and maybe they just use what? An acre mm. to grow food, feed the family, and then sow the next year. So having lived in America and seen farms, and every day I see produce mm-hmm. on the market, God touched me and said, teach your people how to make farms. That's one way Amen. you can spread the gospel. Amen. Come on. That's right. So Praise the word of God is powerful. So we'll never return uh, to God void. So I won't keep you too long. I know you've been here forever waiting on me. (laughs) Don't worry about it. But there is nothing that can take the place of this. Mm -mm. From age to age. You see what that's the posse. The sword of the spirit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Feed on it. Read it. 
get to know it. Actually, I know there's some mundane places in the Bible to read, you know. You read Leviticus and just giving you numbers and numbers <laughs> and numbers. What do I have to do with all that? But if you pay attention, ask God to speak to you, he will say something to your situation. So may God bless all of you. Pray for me. I'm about to go to Liberia on Saturday for seven weeks. Because we have three institutions now. After, you know, when you're sending money, when I come here, ask people for money to help me uh, send the kids to school, you have to go and see where the money is going. Mm-hmm. So pray for me. Pray for my wife. Our, um, our, um, she want to make sure the doors lock. Uh, <laughs> alarm is on. Yeah, but you know, I said my wife. She's 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 um since being a wonderful friend. We've been married for thirty one years. We've been friends for forty one years. Mm-hmm. Our daughter said that's too long. How come you just hang around each other? Mm-hmm. But in this in the grand scheme of things, God used her to get me in the church. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to visit this girl and uh, over and over and over to the young girls. Yeah, I want to say to the you know, uh, young girls can become good evangelists mm-hmm. if you allow God to use you. I kept going to her, going to her, and then one day she kept inviting me to church, and I would not go to church, and she kept inviting me to church, and I would not go to church. And she said to me one day, look me straight in the face. If you're not going to go to church, then you need to stop coming to my house. There you go. True there story. Mm-hmm. I said, really? She said, yes. But fortunately for me, God used a stepmom that day. Because in Africa, when an adult invites you to church and you know you want to come back to a house, you can't say no. So her mom, her mom said, do you know where the church is? Yes, uh, uh, it will take you 30 minutes to get there. Sunday school is 9 o'clock. Make sure you get there. I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> and since that day, I've always been in church. May God bless you. Amen. Praise God.